You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. I get to start us off this week. And um, this topic actually was recommended to me um, by one of our listeners, Miss Katie. Thank you so much for sending this in. It was already on my list, but uh, she sent it and uh, a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to make sure I did it justice and give enough space between uh, certain topic spaces. Um, okay. Which will, Interesting. It, okay. I will become cryptic. clear. I imagine. I will become clear in a minute. Um, because I, I need to spread it out. So today, what I'm talking about is I am talking about a carpet shark. <laughs> Excuse me. What now? A carpet, carpet shark. shark. Carpet shark. Yes. I know a See, lot of sharks. Carpet shark is fast. not on my uh, carpet shark. Carpet not on my shark. List carpet of... shark. That's three. But... Carpet shark. Carpet shark. Carpet shark. Um. So it it's it's a type of shark. Uh. It, it's interchangeably known uh, also as like a wobegon. Not the um, rug shark. Yeah. Not the rug shark. The the, the, the carpet shark. shark. Right, that's good. Um, and generally speaking, is uh they are a bottom dwelling. Uh, shark that are kind of flat. They tend to um, they they have five gill slits and like they have two spinal dorsal fins and a smaller tail. But that's not mm-hmm. the one I'm talking about today. So I'm talking about a specific species of carpet shark. Um, Ooh, okay, which one? The oof. Uh, uh, Eucrosorhinus. Daisy Pogon. <laughs> okay. You got a common name for us? I do. It's called the tasseled woebegone. Tasseled woebegone. Tasseled woebegone. Now, this particular species of carpet shark lives in shallow coral reefs off of northern Australia, New Guinea, and some of adjacent Of course it does, islands. Rachel. <laughs> Hence why I does. needed to give a little bit of space. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta spread out my ocean, my uh, Australianess. Um, I don't know if that's really possible. It's just we, we come to expect <laughs> it at this point. I know. Uh, I try to spread it out a little bit. Now it's not like a really big shark, uh, but it is really fascinating because its camouflage is truly astounding. Awesome. Um, it's not a huge shark. It can get up to like maximum of like five point nine feet, about almost two meters. Uh, nope. In length, Pretty generally speaking, generally it's bigger than a Rachel. Yeah, it's bigger than a me. Um, but generally speaking, they're smaller than that. Um, and what really makes it interesting is like uh, we don't know a ton about them, uh, like especially like their life history. We do know that uh, 
they are ovoviparous. So oh. uh, they Sorry. have their eggs and fertilize inside, and then they give birth to live mm-hmm. babies. When they're born, uh, they are 20 centimeters long. Would they uh, eat a cat? Yes. They have actually uh, been shown to... it. So they are sit-and-wait predators. Um, and if it comes close... And that's really funny. If y'all can't hear the cat in the background, congrats. Um, <laughs> you need a hearing test. <laughs> yeah. I closed the door. He's really upset. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, so... What's really interesting is that so they're sitting wait predators, so they will wait until anything gets a little too close, and then they snap it right out of mm. the water. Right. Um, to the point where, like, if you don't notice, they have been shown to attack humans because ooh, we're ooh. well, okay. we're going around on coral reefs and everything. If we get too close, sure. they think we're a tasty little fish. Or something that they can eat. Um, and they're really interesting um, because uh, they're really interesting because uh, they have a quite a wide mouth. Um, oh, yeah, they do. And when I say a wide mouth, so there was a, a, there was a photographer, no, it was a scientist who photographed a... Um, a tasseled woebegone shark. Oh, eating like job of the hut. Yeah, eating <sighs> a brown banded bamboo shark that was a full eighty percent of the size of the tasseled woebegone. Wow. I think I'm looking at that photo right now. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It gained a lot of notoriety fairly recently. Um, wow, it, that's a uh, disturbing it, sea creature. It's like it's like our friend Brett at an all you can eat I've I've been there. That is uh that is very true. Um Hello, yeah, Brett. pretty much. Hi Brett. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really powerful predator. So it sits on the bottom and the way it's called a tassel woebegone, um, because it looks a lot like uh a woebegone is thought to uh be another indigenous aboriginal word for uh, like a, a sitting rock of sorts um, mm. because it blends in so well. It's quite literally will perfectly blend right into the ground around the, um, or, uh, the ground around it. They, uh, the camouflage is exceptional. It's truly amazing. So it's called tasseled woebegone because uh, around its head, it has a bunch of skin uh, branches. It looks like little coral reef, like branching I've all around, totally does. all like around the an edge. Animal. Yeah. Um, and that's to help it camouflage, so it can sit and eat. And there are animals that will eat um, this shark as well, so it helps them hide. Uh, and if you're driving or something, and you're oof. like picturing what trying to picture what Rachel's talking about, these tassels. Take whatever you're picturing and multiply by like 10 in weirdness. Yeah. 
Uh, they yeah. they look like uh, a child's how sick, is that like, skin tree drawing like all around the edge. I have no idea how it is, but it is skin. It is or shark you know, skin too. I, so you know it's going to be. I know really what it reminds rough. me of. If you've seen branches of uh, white cedar, mm. yeah, 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 have those 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 flat needles that just branch and branch in a fractal pattern. That's what it this looks is. like. There are camouflage branches of needles like mm-hmm. coming off of this animal's head. Like it, it's remarkable, which, which really helps it blend into the the ground because, like I said, they live in coral reefs. They'll spend time in, um, in like caves and such just lying in wait and they'll curl their tail around when they're sleeping but truly what makes it spectacular is that uh camouflage itself um because they're sitting weight predators too their mouth is more towards the top uh they don't have like an underlying mouth Mm, um mm -hmm. like some uh sharks do when they're uh like i think lemon sharks have like a mouth underneath or like a ray uh, had like a they have like a massive underbite, basically. Exactly. So instead of underneath, it's on. T- they have a really massive. Uh, no, you're right. It is a massive. No, these underbite. these guys have the underbite. Yeah, yeah. these guys have mm-hmm. the underbite, and it just juts out in front, so that way the mouth is more facing upward, and their eyes are on top of their head, so that way they can see and be able to like find. Um whatever predator might or whatever prey might go by um yeah i just wanted to talk about these uh weird weird looking sharks because they are strange they're very strange they're not found very deep in the water and just and they don't even like uh they don't when they attack too they don't just um like sit and wait and like go and bite something they literally will open its mouth and suck the prey in. Oh. And then not like <laughs> let giant go. Giant hoover. Yeah, pretty much. Like yeah. a big old, like, big old vacuum. Yeah, you right see in. this thing, and then you remember, like, and it's really pretty goofy looking. It looks uh, so silly. Like some sort of, like, the Muppet, like Jim Henson created it. Yes. A, a, a shark, but not even a shark. Like, I don't even know what this thing would be. Uh, but then you may remember, oh, this mouth is also full of shark teeth. Right. <laughs> yes, is it is. Terrifying. And like I said, it can, it is not, okay. So I said earlier that it has attacked humans, and it has, but it's only done that in like self defense or people who get too close. It's uh, like it no, Exactly. It is not an aggressive species. Um, most sharks are not. If anybody wants to hear my fun shark rant, I'm more than willing to give that, but I won't do it today. Uh, but they're just so fat. They're just so cool. It is just, um, just the fringes. I couldn't get over it. So I didn't want to talk about it. Thanks Katie for sending that in and pushing me towards actually covering it today. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to go to a, break and when we return it'll be victoria kirk here with a quick note if you're enjoying the show be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review it helps other lovers of the strange find our show you can also find and follow us on social media search for strange by nature podcast on facebook twitter and instagram or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. 
All right. Some time ago, I came across a wonderful Wikipedia page called Recursive Islands and Lakes. What? There are, there are two main sections, Recursive Islands and Recursive <laughs> Lakes. Any guesses as to what this could be? Curved Recursive islands? Yeah. Islands that Recursive sink and then islands. come back? Uh, good guess. No. I mean, could this be like, is this another name for like a chain of lakes? Well, uh, a recursive island or lake is an island or lake within a lake or an island. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, there, lake, there's, so you have a lake with an island in it, and then there's a lake, lake on, on the, the island, island, and there's an island in that yeah. lake? Yeah, yeah. There we so go. That's the recursive awesome. island Love it. section <laughs> the recursive island section starts off with a list of, list of islands in lakes. And okay. you might be thinking... There are a lot of islands and lakes. Is this really worth a list Absolutely, on Wikipedia? That yeah. um, would be an extremely long list because there are, you know, probably yeah. thousands. Right. The list says, quote, only a few notable sample examples are listed. Um, there are actually relatively few large islands within lakes in the world. Uh, other, lots of small ones. Um, in right. case you were wondering, Manitoulin Island in Lake Michigan, Huron, is the largest lake island in the world. It's over 2,700 square kilometers. And uh, yeah, Isle Royal right here in Minnesota's own Lake Superior is the fourth largest lake island in the world. Hey. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Of course, there are also lakes on islands. And again, the list only includes some notable examples because it's a long list. So Netchling Lake on Baffin Island, which is in Nunavut, Canada, is the Mm -hmm. largest uh, lake on an island, for those of you who are taking notes at home. Okay. Yeah, it's it about so uh, 5,500 square kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking notes. Let me write this down. <laughs> okay, good. <Yeah. laughs> um, and before we go any further, I think it is worth noting that for our purposes here, uh, what, what counts as an island? Yeah, yeah, and what counts as a lake? Yeah. yeah. Mm, I think mm. p- pond size counts as a lake for this. But large oh, okay. islands okay. like New Zealand and Madagascar, which can be considered small continental land masses, are, in fact, islands. But continents, including Australia, are not. Um, okay. Re- Greenland, it either doesn't count or it didn't have any qualifying lakes or islands. It was a little unclear. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So okay. far, you might be saying, what's the big deal? Lakes and islands. There are lots of them. Now we're going to start to get a little recursive. Let's talk about yes. islands in lakes on islands. Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's an island. Uh, so this is an island like a, that has a lake. And in that lake, you have like another island. It's a doll situation. Yeah. Yeah, so, I love it. Uh, it turns out this is not so rare. Apparently, there are over 1,000 in Finland alone. Wikipedia oh, wow. does not list them all. But it does mention a bunch of others, including several in Japan, New Zealand, and Indonesia. All right. There's some in Hawaii, too, I know. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, you can also get lakes on island in lakes so take a moment you have a lake and there's an island on the lake on an island and on the island there is another lake Uh uh-huh okay yeah (laughs) you with me okay so we're so they're they're but that's okay we're two lakes in and one island or are we two islands in and two lakes in uh so two lakes and one (laughs) island okay okay uh there are about 36 of these worldwide, if Wikipedia is to be believed. And the largest is Lake Manitou on good old Manitoulin Island in Lake Michigan Huron that I mentioned earlier. Right. So the biggest, the biggest okay. lake island has uh, the biggest 
Blake, Blake Island Blake. <laughs> oh my you warned us our brain might hurt after this one. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. This okay. feels like the friends episode where it's like they don't know that we know that they know that we know. <laughs> yes. I'm still really excited to see how deep this hole goes. Uh-huh. There's no, there's it goes, no layers to this. It goes cake. pretty deep. Uh oh, next oh, we oh. have lakes on islands in lakes on islands. So I'm gonna walk you through it. We ha- you have a lake. And there's mm-hmm. an island right. in the lake. And on that gotcha. island, there is another lake with its own island. Okay. Yep. Yeah. How much does your brain hurt? A lot. No, I got that one. For some okay. reason, that one stuck. I don't yeah. know, you know, how comprehensive this Wikipedia list is, but it lists 10 such lakes, most of which are unnamed and in remote areas of Canada. Hmm. And there are also a couple in New Zealand and one each in Sweden, Tonga, and Iceland. I just picture really bored people at night on Google Earth oh, just yeah. like, I'm going to add something to this Wikipedia page. I'm going to name them. Uh, Next up, we have islands in lakes on islands in lakes. So you have a lake, say, for example, in Finland. Imagine a Uh lake in Finland with an island on it. And on that island is another lake with its own island. Okay. And on that island. Again, there are a fair number of these in Canada and Finland. Wikipedia lists 39. It seems maybe it's not an exhaustive list because it says it mentions that there are some lakes that have two islands in them. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Right. There is also a list of 12 islands and lake, uh, lakes on islands and lakes on islands. Uh, my brain is definitely starting to hurt. Most of these are in Canada. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give you an example. Okay. To walk, help. Us, walk us through yeah, that one again. I'm going to give you an example. It helps make it a little more concrete. So. Yep. Uh, Netchling Lake, which I mentioned before, is on Baffin Island. So that's the largest lake on an island. Lake on an island. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Baffin Island. Is in the lake. Yeah, Baffin Island, by the way, is the fifth largest island in the world. It's way up north there in Canada. Cool. Uh, yeah. So in Netchling Lake, there is an unnamed island which has mm-hmm. its own small lake, which also has a small island in it. Okay, so we're two islands in and two lakes in. Got it. No, that's three islands and two lakes. Oh, we're okay. yeah, because it's on an island to start <laughs> <Got> with. <laughs> Got it. Okay. You keep asking, oh, is my brain hurt? Yes. <laughs> and there are eleven others like that. Oh my gosh! Wow. Can we go further? Yes, we can. Yes. <laughs> there is also okay. a lake on an island in a lake on an island in a lake. Okay. In Nunavut, <sighs> Canada, there is a lake called. Yafkyad Lake. Uh, so that's lake number one. It has okay. an island, island number one, yep. with its own lake, number two, uh-huh. with, a, with island number two, on which uh-huh. there's another lake, lake number three. Okay. okay. And, drumroll, lake three has its own island. Oh my gosh, awesome. <laughs> so island, island three. Four. No, that's island three. That's island three, okay. Island three, it's three, three lakes and three islands. Okay. Uh, island three is an island in a lake on an island in a lake on an island in a lake. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the resolution of the Google Earth satellite image is not high enough to show island number three. I can confirm the existence of lake number three, and I found another website that had a satellite image that showed the island. So I believe this island actually exists and is not a figment of the Internet's imagination. imagination. Okay. Okay. And I'm trying to think of uh, how I'm going to put this on our Instagram later. Yeah, I think you my gotta br- get there and then see if there's a 
okay. a lake, an, another another lake on that island. Yeah. My brain is now broken, and I need to take the rest of the mm-hmm. episode off. <laughs> wow. Okay. You des- it's well deserved. Thank you to well all those deserved. bored people on Wikipedia who are scouring Google Earth in at two a.m. to Amazing. add to this web page. And we are going to take a little break, much needed, and Kirk will have something hopefully less hurtful when we get back. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very hurtful, no. Oh, good. But it may may blow your mind. I'm sorry. Excellent. All right. I'm going to assume that both of you know what a night jar is, but I don't want to make that same assumption... About mm-hmm. our listeners. All right, so, oh, I got to take it off uh, the list. <laughs> one could easily assume that a night jar is something you keep under the bed in case you have to go to the bathroom late at night or something of that nature. Yeah, I but know people uh, but have no. Mm. Right, dear listener. Uh, a night jar, uh, the night jars are a group of birds. Uh, so the night jars are found around the world, uh, with the exception of Antarctica, like a lot of species. Mm-hmm. But they're essentially found everywhere else. Uh, there's actually 89 different species found around the world. Uh, here in North America, the most common that people would know about would either be the whippoorwill mm-hmm. here in the eastern U.S. Mm-hmm. or the common poorwill out west. We also, I should point out, have nighthawks uh, in the U.S., yeah. uh, which, is, yeah. which are also technically night jars, but they're kind of in their own special group of night jars. And I did include all of those in the 89 species globally. So, you know, you may have run into one of these uh, species or or at least heard them because some of them are, are, most of them are pretty vocal. They make a lot of loud noise at night. Uh, So there's, there's a lot of fun, weird things about night jars and they have really captured people's imagination. They, first of all, they have amazing camouflage. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are nocturnal Mm -hmm. or at least crepuscular, meaning only active at dawn and dusk. And they are very secretive animals. I've only ever seen two species of night jars roosting during the day. I've seen some, you know, flying around at night and, or at you know dawn and dusk, but You're actually saying, roosting. It's very hard to find them. You're saying so. That I they found have, there's a reason why they're called night jars. Yes, they're they're out at night. Uh, but I'm <laughs> saying like they're they're hard to find during the day. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like you can you can see an owl. During the day, like a great horned owl sitting up a tree sleeping. People see that all the time. People don't just run into night jars uh, during the day because right. their camouflage is, is so, so amazing. Uh, one that I did see was a whippoorwill that was just hanging out on a branch in the woods. And it literally just looked like a bump on the branch. Like someone else <laughs> saw it first and pointed it wow. out. And I'm like, where? They're like on that branch. Yeah. Where? That branch right in front of us. It's like, what? oh my gosh. Like that bump is, is a bird. Right there. Just Whoa. Amazing. I've seen some pictures. I've never seen one in person, but yeah, it's amazing. I haven't either. Yeah. I want to. It, it, was, it was nearly impossible to see. Uh, the other one was actually uh, the uh, uh, common uh, uh, paraki down in Texas. And that one was a bit of a cheat because they roost on the ground, which makes them incredibly hard to see uh, mm-hmm. with their camouflage. Volunteers who work at this park have built up like little stick shelters to protect the birds roosting sites. So as you walk down mm-hmm. the trail, you just look for little piles of sticks and then the birds are sitting right behind them on the ground. So a bit of a cheat. I did find them there, but I was really just looking for the piles of sticks, not mm. for the birds. Right. If you didn't know they were there, like you're just visiting the park, you would 100% just walk right past the bird or maybe even like step on it. Mm-hmm. Because their camouflage is so good, which is why they have these little piles of sticks to be like, stay on the trail. You will literally step on one of these oh, birds. Gosh. 
Now, mm-hmm. one of my favorite names for this group of birds is actually not nightjars, but a different name for them, the goat suckers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. I should pull. Yep. Wait, hold on. It makes sense. Is that what you just came out of your mouth there? It uh, makes sense? I, I'm just looking at their mouths right now. I'm looking at pictures. <laughs> I'm wondering, how does calling it a goat sucker make sense exactly? Um, I t- Well, there, there is a yeah. reason. There is a reason why uh, they're called that. I should point out first, though, if you're a fan of cryptozoology, uh, that the name goat sucker is also the nickname uh, for the feared chupacabra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no relation. It happens to be the same name. Okay. Uh, the name goat sucker goes way back into an ancient legend that thought where people thought that the night jars were drinking goat's milk at night, which is <laughs> okay. super strange. Well, to be clear, they're not. Right. Uh, I'm not really sure how that rumor got started. Um, but the Latin name of uh, the goat sucker order, uh, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, is actually basically Latin for goat sucker. So it's kind of cool that that name is immortalized in its uh, scientific name. Ooh. So there's two can I, sh- can I two try stories. It? Can I try oh, it? Go for it. The uh, order Caprimulgiformis. Sure. Yeah. Well, well Cap- Capra's goat, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yep. So there's actually two stories I want to share about these birds. Uh, and the first up is about the European nightjar. There was actually a research paper published in PLOS Biology in 2019 that detailed something strange about their migration habits. It seems their migration is controlled by the lunar cycle. What? Yeah. When I first heard about this, I I, I thought it was weird, but then I quickly figured, okay, well, maybe that's not so weird. Like many birds use the moon to migrate, right? So they're probably timing timing their migration to either coincide with the full moon so they could see better Mm-hmm. Or maybe with the new moon to maximize darkness and help them hide. Uh, you know, the darker it's going to be, the more hidden they'd be after all. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the darker out when there's no moon, you can see the stars better for nav- navigation. So I figured oh, that must be what it is. Uh, no, I would be wrong. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> what the study actually <laughs> okay. showed is that the night jars were undergoing pretty much simultaneous migration about 10 days after the full moon. So okay. both my ideas went straight out the window. Yeah. Uh, and weirdly, with, uh, with all the research that had gone on, it seems like no one had really looked at how the moon affects the timing of the migration of birds. It's actually an area that has not been well studied. Huh. And it, it, it makes sense that, you know, it makes sense that the moon would be affecting migration, but you need to prove it, right? And right. new technology like GPS and geolocators on birds that can fit on them has actually made this possible. And what the research showed is that during uh, and near a full moon, night jars are way more successful at foraging for food. Hmm. And then around 10 days after the full moon, they basically built up enough fat reserves to be able to migrate. And then they all leave en masse when they are, are fat enough to do so. Uh, so cool. I thought that was really cool. Huh. It actually has me wondering about the timing of other bird migrations and how that could be tied to the moon. Uh, in my my own work, I'm a bird bander here in Minnesota, and I, I tend to observe that wind patterns play what I, I believe is the dominant role in when birds arrive and leave the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be very interesting to look at uh, correlations with lunar cycles as well. Uh, the songbirds I work with migrate at night, but they feed during the day. Uh, and so they're not like trying to fill up at night by the full moon. I do have friends, though, who do research on owls uh, at the site where I work. And yeah. so I'm kind of interested to talk to them 
and kind of have them maybe look at the data and find out is there some sort of correlation between moon cycle and how it might relate to owl migration because we have owls that are definitely migrating through yeah. uh, and the, I got to mm-hmm. believe the moon's going to affect that somehow. So I'm excited to talk to them about that as an aside. The other cool story I wanted to share about night jars though is about the common poor will. So the common poor well is found uh, Western North America, kind of from British Columbia down to Northern Mexico. And mm-hmm. they, they look kind of like all the night jars do. And um, they do something that is simply extraordinary. And I hope your shoelaces are, are laced up tight because your socks <laughs> may just completely blown right off your feet here. I don't have okay. socks. Uh, night jars at the moment. Okay, that's good. <laughs> night jars, night, they, 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 these, um, the common poor will hibernates. What? What? Yes, they, they hibernate, hibernate, which is an extraordinary thing to say about a bird. Yeah. Uh, here in Minnesota, then, we have chickadees, for example, uh-huh. that will go into what we call torpor, like uh-huh. for a few hours overnight yeah. on extremely cold evenings. And and there there's a number of birds that can do this, but when a bird goes into a state of torpor, they can decrease their body temperature and the metabolic rate. Um, mm-hmm. And this is usually a short-term solution. Uh, and the short duration is one of the things that separates it from hibernation, because otherwise it's very similar to hibernation. You know, your right. your metabolic rate is slowing and your temperature is slowing. There's about a hundred species of birds worldwide that we know will go into these short temporary torpors. Uh, so it seems like torpor may be uh, actually a common strategy for a lot of night jars. They'll actually use torpor. Mm-hmm. The common poor will though takes us to the extreme, uh, and I really would call it hibernation, uh, because hibernation is torpor specifically in the winter that mm-hmm. lasts for extended periods of time and mm-hmm. the common poor will doesn't just go into torpor overnight they can do it for months mm-hmm. wow what? months yeah <laughs> how, so how? in the southern end of their range in northern mexico it can get cold at night in the mm-hmm. winter and being that it's winter and cold insects can be hard to find because insects will only fly around when there's certain light levels and when there's certain temperatures. Mm-hmm. And if we throw back to the, the moon topic earlier, it's even harder to like find insects when the moon isn't out. So if it's cold out and it's a moonless night, uh, it's extremely hard to find food uh, in the wintertime for these poor wills. And so the birds basically fly down into piles of rocks and they will stay there for months, not moving, which oh, blows what? my mind. I just yeah I blew my mind. I hope it blew your mind too. Uh, the, the idea of birds hibernating, I yeah, it breaks happen. my brain. Yeah. So night jars, uh, just in general, are an amazing group of birds, and I hope everyone will go out and learn more about them. Maybe try to to see one or hear one at night. Uh, my sources yeah. this week for these stories were uh, the, as I mentioned, the PLOS biology article, uh, Wikipedia, and also an article article on the freckled night jar uh, from the Journal of Avian Biology in two thousand seven. So. That's what I got for you. I'm going to think about this for a long time, Kirk. Me too. Well, you know, if you need to hibernate a little bit, you go ahead. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
you can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.